I had somebody ask me, they said, how, how is the merger going? And I said, it's really good. Uh, I said, there's a lot of excitement. And, and you can see that even by today. Just ever since the Kearns came back in June, there, God, it just feels like God has just been doing something. And I'm excited. And I'm excited that I'm excited about it. Does that make sense? I mean, I'm really excited. But, you know, the truth of the matter is, I said, I'm still not even sure which kids belong to who and things like that. I said, there's a lot of things to work out. And why am I saying this? Because there's an excitement right now. For everybody that in here that has been married, if you remember back to that day, and some of you wasn't too long ago, but when you got married, there was a lot of excitement. I mean, basically, this wedding was being planned out, and it's almost like we do these weddings to try to do them to perfection, and then we just end it with, and they all lived happily ever after, right? Until you go home, and obstacles start coming, right? Right? You know to this day that my wife will not open a chip sack all the way? We've been working on that for 30 years. She opens it up where her hand can go in there, and I'm like, gosh, I just pow. But I want to talk about that today. If you would, would you bow your heads with me? Father, today, Lord, this, I just want to pray, God, that you, uh, God, that you would get glory for yourself today. Um, as we heard this morning, that, God, you are the one to get glory. And what's incredible is you glorify us. But, God, let us, let us take all the focus off us and put it all on Christ. We pray that your word is uh, proclaimed today, and we pray that Christ is exalted, that your will would be done, nothing more, nothing less. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, open them up to the 11th chapter of Hebrews. That's really where I'm going to be today. I'm going to read a couple other places. I'm not starting a book, um, not starting a book, you know, to, to go through at this point, but as as I've been, you know, just uh, thinking and meditating on our church, this local church family right here and where we're going, church, do you realize that, yes, there's a lot of excitement right now, and there's people that are saying things like, man, you know, we're talking about trying to do things, trying to reach out in the community, but sometimes things stall out. This thing has got to go. Um, sometimes things stall out. And sometimes people are sitting there, and we're, and we're, you know, months down the road, and we're still saying, we're going to be doing these things, and why, why aren't we doing things? You know, what, what's going on? Well, what happens so much of the time is, is anybody in here, as a believer, have you, is anybody in here not going through some type of trial or difficulty right now? No, to some degree... We are all going through trials and obstacles, aren't we? Well, I want to, I want to start off, and I want to read in, well, I said, I said Hebrews chapter 11. I'm actually going to read in chapter 12. Now, I want you to listen to this. And just so you'll know, uh, Justin kind of got into a little bit of where I'm going to be reading today. And to be fair, I'm going to be reading where he's probably going to be preaching next time. So we'll be even. Uh, listen to this in 12 1 listen he says therefore we also since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses 
Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now here's what I want you to know. These witnesses, have you ever, I've, I've heard things preached like this, this, this great cloud of witnesses. He says, that we're surrounded by them. Now, I've heard people say this, you know, sometimes they'll, they'll talk about this and they'll say, we have all of these witnesses and they're in heaven and they're looking down at us and they're cheering us on. Like they're watching us. I don't think so. I'm going to tell you, if I'm in heaven, contrary to a lot of songs and stuff we sing, I'm not looking down here, okay? I'm through at this place. I'm, I, am, I am going to be focused on Christ, right? No, when we talk about a witness, what it's saying is this great cloud is giving testimony to us. And that's what we're going to look at today. I want to turn, this is where I'm going to get into to Justin's uh, message next week a little bit. But I want to read some to you in 1 Peter. Listen to this. He says in 1 Peter 1.3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Folks, our hope... Hope is not, it does not mean wish. Like, well, I, I wish I could do this. We use the word hope like we're, we could substitute it with wish. That's not what the biblical word hope means. The biblical word hope is a confident, assured expectation that what God has promised, He is going to fulfill. And we have a living hope because we are alive in Christ. Now listen to what he says. Why? Because he said it's through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. The modern day gospel, and I don't want to get too far off what I'm talking about, but the modern day gospel is simply usually only about Jesus died on the cross for you. He wants you to go to heaven. Just believe in him. And Listen, you go through the book of Acts and, and Nate's going through the book of Acts you're going to find that the emphasized point through the book of Acts is always the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Think about this. If you're back in the days of Acts and you're preaching in Jerusalem, you know, 50 days, a couple months after Jesus was crucified, and you said, do you know Jesus died on the cross? What do you think they're going to say? Yeah, we was there. Well, did you know he, he, he shed his blood? Yeah. Yeah, we was there. Matter of fact, we were the ones screaming, crucify him. Yeah, we was there. We saw it. But when you say, well, do you know that that same Jesus rose from the dead? We have a problem now. Because if that man rose from the dead, he's exactly who he claimed to be. And for believers, that's why our hope is a living hope. Now, he goes on and he says this. He says, we have an inheritance that is incorruptible, 
It's undefiled and it does not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Folks, we have something that is reserved, that is waiting for us. Primarily, it's Christ himself. And then he says this, he says, we are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And listen, he says, in this you greatly rejoice. And we should greatly rejoice in that. But then look what he says. Though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. And I want to ask you again, has anyone gone through trials sitting here absolutely and some of them are hard trials some of them are grievous trials some of them are mild compared to others but nonetheless they are trials it means they are hard spots in the road now he says These trials, he said, they're there. He says that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire. Listen, your faith is far more valuable. The testing of your faith is far more valuable than all the gold in the world piled up together. And he says that your faith, this tested faith, that it may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now listen to this. Whom, not, whom having not seen you love, though now you do see, you do not see him, yet you believe. You rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I tell people this a lot of times. Why? Sometimes people say this. I mean, as Christians, what, what is it we get? What do we believe about the Christian life? What is it supposed to be? What is it supposed to look like? Now, if any of you have went out and purchased your best life now, don't even get me started. When you have a book with almost 500 pages and there's no mention of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm sorry, but it's impossible to have your best life now out of that book. You see, your best life now may mean that you are in a prisoner camp in Germany and you're in a flea and lice infested cell leading a Bible study to a group of women. Anybody ever heard of Corey Tinboom? That's her life and it was her best life now. You see, the thing is, oftentimes we get focused on the trial. Man, my son and Matt, they're here, they, they play football. I mean, there's just something about watching my kid play football, okay? But when you go to a football game, especially in Little League, they're funny. They're really funny. You'll see these guys on the line. And as the game's going on, man, they're getting really mad at each other. Now, if you're on offense, the goal is to keep this guy blocked from your quarterback. Or you're blocking to, to clear out a pathway for the runner, okay? But if you're on defense, your goal is to get to the ball. 
Now, the problem on both sides is there's that other guy over there that is preventing you from doing what you would really like to do. And sometimes these guys are so focused on each other. Here's the play over here, and you'll see these guys 30 yards from anybody. The play will be off notice going bang, bang. And they're fighting, and they're just going at it. And we all just laugh. It's like, man, these guys are going at it. Now, here's the problem. They have completely lost focus of the goal. They are so focused on the obstacle right in front of them that they can't see the big picture. Does that make sense? We as Christians, sometimes we can focus so much on the trial at hand that we're not focused on why we're going through the trial. You see, your trials are not there to make your life miserable. Your trials are there to make you the person that Christ has called you to be, which is going to look more and more like Christ. We'll say, why am I going through this? Why me? Well, first of all, I can almost guarantee you that there's somebody going through a worse trial than you. The question is not why me. Maybe the question is why not me? Why, why wouldn't God use me to go through this? You see, a lot, oftentimes we're going through trials and we don't understand it. But what you don't know that God knows, because God knows everything, He sees the road that He has you on. And as you're going down that road, you're going through this grievous trial that in the future, you're going to be able to be a benefit to these people that are going to go through similar difficulties. And God's going to use you as that witness to say, carry on, brother. Are you with me? Now, oftentimes we pray to get out of trials, don't we? Oh, God, deliver me out of this trial. Right? I remember Adrian Rogers, this is the first time I heard it. I've heard it since, but he probably says it the best. I mean, that guy can talk good, you know. Talked about a, a man, and I think it was a little boy, and they was out in the woods, and they come across a cocoon. And this thing's like shaking, man. It's just, and, and the dad knows what's about to happen. He knows that this caterpillar had formed this cocoon, and this was the day this, this caterpillar is going to come out as a butterfly, right? And so they're waiting in this thing, and he's telling his son what's about to happen. And they see it start cracking open, but this thing's shaking, and it would stop. And, you know, that caterpillar, that butterfly, it's resting. Well, the dad and his son got a little impatient, and they was going to just help it out. And so they cracked open the cocoon just to let the butterfly go free. And it's, you know, it's going to be a great, great moment problem is the butterfly fell to the ground. Come on in, brother. The butterfly fell to the ground and just simply died. You see, because God had designed that caterpillar to weave this cocoon and that this butterfly had to keep fighting. And what it was doing through that process, it's building its muscles that when it finally opens up, it has the strength to fly. It has the strength to survive. So I'm telling you this, if you're going through trials today, know this, that God has a purpose and He's not going to deliver you out of it until He has performed the work that He has for you. 
So instead of praying, God, get me out of this, say, God, see me through this. The fire's being turned up. Those impurities are coming to the surface. He's wiping it away that you can appear more like Christ. Amen? Now, turn your Bibles back to the book of Hebrews. Now I want to talk about these witnesses. We're going to back up in chapter 11. And it's interesting. I just love how God orchestrates things. I did not talk to Justin. I don't know. I didn't know what he was going to teach on today. He didn't know what I was going to teach on. And so we're going to be starting in chapter 10. Now, I want you to listen to this. I'm going to go through part of chapter 10 and mostly through chapter 11. I'm going to try to do it as quick as I can. But, but, but I'm going to say this. If you're one of those 20-minute sermon people, this ain't your day, okay? So... He says in chapter 10, let me, just, let me just read this to you real quick. Uh, I want to tell you what the book of Hebrews is, is generally speaking about. Many Jewish believers, have, they had stepped out of Judaism and they had come to Christ, okay? And, and, and so what has happened, they, now persecution is heating up by Jews and they're wanting to kind of turn back around and go back to what they came out of. Has anybody ever experienced anything like that? You see, me and my wife, we came out of something one time. We came out of a church, and we came out of something that if, if we were a church, we barely were a church, okay? Some people called me a cult leader, and that's not, that doesn't make you feel real good. I don't think I was, but I don't know what I was. Who knows? But regardless of that, when you leave something, it's everything you know. It's been your life for the last 20 years of your life. There is sometimes in difficulties a mind to want to turn around to what we know, the comfort zone. Even if it's wrong, we still want to go. Now, these Jews were, I mean, these, these, these Christians, and most of these were Jews, I mean, yeah, were Jewish. They're wanting to turn back to, to the shadow. They're wanting to turn back to the things that all pointed to Christ. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, he's saying his appeal to him is this. Christ is better than angels because they worship him. He's better than Moses because he created Moses. And Moses is the one that said, there's a prophet coming after me. It's him you need to hear. He said he's better than the Aaronic priesthood. Aaron, you know. His sacrifice was once and for all time. And he's. He is better than the law, for he mediates a better covenant. And so that's what Paul, is, or whoever the writer, we don't know who the writer is. A lot of say Paul, but that don't matter. So all the way through the book of Hebrews, he's saying, here's what, what it was. Christ is superior. Christ is better. Over and over and over. And he's saying, don't turn around. And we get to chapter 10, and he says this. He said, it's a fearful thing, verse 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, when your eyes were opened, that you endured a great struggle of sufferings. Now, he's reminding these believers that once your eyes were opened, you went through a, a lot of struggles. And he says, partly, uh, he's saying, while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. What's he saying? Some of, some of the, the persecution you got is because you were going through things, and partly because... You, you came alongside and became a companion to those who were suffering. Sometimes imprisonment, a lot of different things. But he says, nonetheless, you were going through trials. You were suffering. And then he says this. 
He says, and the writer says, For you had compassion on me and my chains, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For, he says, you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. He says, for yet a little while, and he who is coming home will not tarry, or he who is coming will not will come and not tarry. He says, now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Now listen to what he says, though. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition or destruction, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. I heard a story just the other day as a woman a long time ago was going to swim the English Channel. And she had swam, and I mean, she is wore out. And, and just right before the end, she gave up. She, she, got, they, she got in the boat. And once she got in the boat, she could see the land. And she said, oh, my gosh, if I, I think if I could have just seen how far I had to go, I could have made it. And that's what I want to talk about today. See, because if we just look at our weariness, if we just look at the trials, if we just look at the obstacles, as this church tries to go out, do you know that we're going to be met with obstacles? That when we go and we, we had the college ministry kick off last Thursday, there's going to be obstacles of some sort. Whether it's too small of a place, whether it's not being able to find a place. What, it, it could be somebody coming and trying to cause problems. There's going to be obstacles. There's always obstacles. And so we've got to ask ourselves, what are we looking at? Now listen to this. You get into chapter 11, and he says this. He says, now faith. It's interesting that Justin was talking about faith. He says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. Faith. When you really just bring faith down, it is believing, it is taking God at His word. In spite of all the polls, in spite of public opinion, in spite of all the naysayers, faith, is believing and resting in the Word of God. It is, the, it is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. He says, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. Now listen, what did he say over in 12? He said, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. These witnesses are not up there cheering us on, so to speak. Now, they may be. They may be. But that's not what this is saying. But what he's saying is this. Sometimes as we're going through a trial, all we can see is us and the trial at hand, right? And he said, I want you to back up and I want you to look. I want you to look back in history. And I want you to listen to the testimonies of these witnesses one by one. Okay? You'll find in the book of Hebrews right here in the, 11th, in the 11th chapter, you're going to find it 19 times. Well, 18 times it says by faith, and this right here where it says by it, 
referring to faith. So you could basically say 19 times it's going to say by faith, by faith. And there's somebody's name after it and what they were able to do. And he says, by it, the elders obtained a good report. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are not seen were... So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Is that a controversial thing today? But the science, the scientists have, they, we know that they know, right? We, we knew it was true when the scientists told us there's only 10,000 stars in the heavens. You know how we know that's true? Because scientists told us that. Well, these scientists today ain't saying that. They say, you know what? We can't number that. Do you know what God told us way back then? You can't number them. (laughs) But you know what? We can laugh, but I'm going to tell you something. The people who were believing truth were laughed at, and they were ridiculed, and they were mocked, all trying to shut or to stop their mouth from proclaiming truth truth okay now listen i'm not going to read all of this i'm actually going to skip down to verse eight or certain things i really want to get to not to take away from the word but listen what he says in verse eight he says by faith he says abraham obeyed when he was called to go out into the place which he would receive as an inheritance he went out not knowing where he was going by faith he dwelt in the land of promise in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And by faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. And therefore from one man... And him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. What is he just saying right there? Isn't it amazing when you first start reading the Bible and you've seen them old movies when there was Abraham and he's like this big, bold, you know, guy or Moses, you know. I mean, man, you get this idea that these guys, they didn't have faults, did they? They, they didn't mess up, you know, like we do. And you go back there and start reading about him. You're thinking, no, wait a second, is this the same Abraham? I mean, if you came to Abraham and said, Abraham, you are known as the father of faith. I'd like to interview you. I want you to tell me about the great works that you did, Abraham. Tell me about the things you did. It's like, well, there, there was one time. Well, we, we was kind of disobedient. We went into Egypt, and, and Pharaoh was there, and my wife, Sarah, she was an older lady, but, man, she, she was better looking than those 20-year-olds. And So I told her, don't tell them I'm your husband. Don't tell them I'm your husband. Tell them I'm your brother, which technically wasn't a lie, but, you know, because, see, I knew they would kill me because she was so beautiful. And you'd be like, no, Abraham, no, you're, you're the father of faith, right? You're the father of faith. No, not that one. Oh, that other time with Abimelech, yeah, I did the same thing there. No, Abraham, not that one. And Abraham goes, oh, I know which one you're talking about now. It's when God promised me that I was going to be a father of many nations. And I believed him. I took God at his word. 
Well, Sarah, what about you? I mean, Abraham, wasn't, that wasn't a good interview. What about you, Sarah? You thought he was faithful. You considered him faithful who had promised. Tell us about what you did. Oh, what I did. oh yeah, well, here's what I did. Well, you know, it had been about ten years, and God had not really come through yet. We were not sure. You know, God had promised Abraham was 75, and I was 65. We're getting older, and I, I owned this woman named Hagar. She was my property. And I told Abraham, once you go into her... And we'll conceive seed that way because I own her all. You know, this will be my property. No, Abraham, not that. Oh, you're talking about when I was 90. When I was 89. And the Lord came and told Abraham that about this time next year, I was going to have a child. And I believed him. That's what you're talking about. I, I didn't understand. Can you imagine the interviewer? Because we want to put so much stock in people. Can I tell you something today? There's no, there's no great men and women of God. There are just weak, feeble people that God has set His love on who serve a great and power, the all-powerful God who's going to work through you and in you to accomplish His purpose and His will for His glory. That's all the greatness there is. He says... I'm going to skip down to 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. Concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. What about that time, Isaac? Do you remember the time that you took your son up on the mountain? And you, you, had, you, you bound him up and you, you had the fire and, and, and you had the knife drawn. I mean, that was incredible, Abraham. The faith that you must have had. No, no, the faith that I had was that I had come to this point in my life that out of my mistakes I had the faith that I had was that God had promised me that it was going to be through this son that my seed would come. It was going to be through Isaac. And more importantly on that day, something incredible happened. See, he did have the knife drawn and he was about to take the life of Isaac Okay, now listen to this. You, got, you don't want to miss this. Do you remember, fast forward a few thousand years, and Jesus is being questioned and grilled by the Jews. And he's talking about Abraham was, and he says, you know, he says, your father Abraham, he says, Abraham, he said, he didn't say that, he said, Abraham, he said, he saw my day and rejoiced in it. And those Jews got angry and they said, what are you talking about? You're not even 50 years old and you say that you saw Abraham? And he says, before Abraham was, he said, I am. 
And they picked up stones, and they wanted to stone him to death because, listen, if you don't understand that language, what Jesus just said was, before Abraham was, I am that self-existent God out of Exodus 3.15 who told Moses, this is my name. I am that I am. But when he says, Abraham saw my day. Wait a second. What does that mean? It was going to be another few thousand years before Jesus came, right? You see, on that day that, that Abraham drew that knife and was about to take the son, I mean, the, the life of his son Isaac, God stopped him. And they turn around and they see a ram caught in a thorn bush. Very interesting. He's caught in a thorn bush by his horns. Here's a ram, which is a lamb. His horns, his authority is brought under the curse. God cursed the earth. Man was fallen. He was cursed. Christ came down. They went and got that ram. God had shown Abraham that it's not your son that I require, but it is my son that I will require his blood. And Abraham believed that and rejoiced in it. I want to ask you something. What trial are you going through today? Are you like that? Are you like that fourth grade little league football player that's out there just bashing helmets and pads with the other guy and you don't know what's going on? Or are you looking beyond what you can see with physical eyes at what you can't see? And looking to Christ. Look what he goes on and says. Look down at verse 23. For by faith Moses, when he was born, he was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. And by faith Moses, when he became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now listen to this. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches in the treasures in Egypt, for he had looked to the reward. What are these witnesses telling us? Do you not realize that, that Moses was supposed to be killed? There was a, a command by the Pharaoh to kill all the, the, the boys. They hit him. They put him in a basket. He floats down the river. His sister's kind of hanging there, watching, you know, making sure he's safe. Pharaoh's daughter's taking a bath. Man, she sees this little baby. She takes him as her own. They go get Moses' mother. Do you think this is random chance stuff? Moses' mother has come to basically nurse the baby. And in time, no doubt, no doubt, Moses' mother was telling Moses who you really are. And God has a purpose. And so you could say, Moses, tell us about your great work that you did. He said, well, when I became 40 years old, I decided to deliver my people. And I was going to do it one Egyptian at a time. I saw an Egyptian mistreating some my, my brothers, and so I killed him. And I hit him. And then I was found out, and I... Ran for another 40 years. I went and hid. 
Bible says that when Moses came to age, when he came to age, he said he refused to be called Pharaoh's daughter. Do you know what he's saying right there? We live in a very materialistic world, don't we? Do, we, do you realize that the American dream is anti-Christ? The American dream tells you, work hard, you, you deserve it, you, you build this fancy place, you get your rock garden, your flower gardens, you get a swimming pool, you can get that type that you don't even got to maintain. I mean, you can have the American dream when Jesus is saying, if you want to come after me, you're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to take up your cross. Folks, their crosses today, my gosh, is this the most ridiculous thing you ever seen? Everybody is fashionable. I'm sure people's got them on today. Tattoos, necklaces, on a bracelet, shirts. Sometimes I just want to walk out and say, yes, well, I actually did that street preaching one time. Do you know what that would be comparable to today? When they said, take up your cross, it wasn't a cool Christian slogan. It sent fear through the person hearing it. Take up your cross. It meant you were going to die. Today, if we were going to do something similar to that, we would all be wearing necklaces with a little electric chair around our neck. Or here's my electric chair tattoo over here. It was an emblem of death. And we've totally lost the meaning. But when Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh, he was saying, I am forfeiting everything that I have. And at that time, he had anything that was available in worldly terms. All the riches, all the luxuries, all the comforts, everything was right at his hand. It was at his beckoning call. And he listened to what he said. He said this. His testimony to us, this witness said this. He said, I chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Does that, does that, is that right there, is that what your life speaks? I hope you're right. I mean, I, I, amen. Here's the thing. We go to college, and what are we going to college for? To make money, to be rich. If God has blessed you with an ability to make money, He did not bless you with that so that you can have fine things. He wants you to invest what He's blessed you with into others who are out there on the firing line in the mission field over there right now saying, Lord, I need Bibles. I need material. I need some help that the ministry can go forth. And we're sitting over here building our kingdoms, building our own, hosts, our own homes, aren't we? But he said, now listen to this. He said, he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Now listen, that is not the subtitle to your best life now book. Listen to what he said. He did not say, I esteem all the great things that, that I get in church. All the happiness. We've got a bowling league and we play cards on this day and it's all fair. There's no rules. Everybody can be happy. No, no, no. He said, I count the reproach, the persecutions, the sufferings, those trials. I count those things far more valuable than all the treasures that Egypt could pile up. Do you think Moses was a popular preacher? He had one of the largest congregations. People brag about big churches. 
He had, he had a congregation that was probably around 2 million people. I don't know. It was a bunch. You would think this guy is popular, right? No, it was just a few days after they went through the Red Sea. And they're out there and they're like, this guy brought us out and we're going to die of thirst. Let's kill him. Let's go back. Moses' entire ministry was dealing with people complaining about his leadership. Let that be just a warning. <laughs> just. Now listen to this. He says, He says, why did he, why did he count the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt? Because he looked to the reward. He's looking beyond the trial. He's looking beyond the obstacle. And he's looking to the reward. See, Moses is the one that when you ever, you ever go through, the, when you're going through the book of Acts, you're going to find some common things when they come. They're going to bring up Abraham. They're going to bring up Moses. They're going to bring up David over and over and over. These are like they're the big three to the Jew. And they're going to be saying Moses was pointing to Christ. Abraham was pointing to Christ. David was speaking of Christ. All of these witnesses are saying, look to Christ. Don't look at what's right in front of you. Look beyond that. He goes on and he says, he says, well, I'm going to skip down. I don't want to, it's, getting a little bit late, so I want to skip down. Now listen to this. Look in verse... I'll just start in verse 30. It says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. Anybody ever read that story? You want to talk about some great war plans, some great battle strategy? What if the Lord told you, you're going to take this city and here's how you're going to do it. You're going to... You're going to take the Ark of the Covenant. You're going to go around it, you know, around the whole city. The walls are up. And, and, and the priests are going to be here, and you're going to go, and you're just going to run and not say a word. Just run around the city and come back next day. Do the same thing. I mean, can you imagine the first one, like, yeah, you know, we're like, yeah, we're taking it. And they're running out, and they're like, what? Day four, what? Are we? I, I mean, you got to wonder. But on the seventh day, he said, I want you to go around it seven times. And I want you to give a shout. And when they did, the, fall, the walls fell down flat. And they, they conquered them. Seeing beyond what we would call reason. It's, it's trusting in God. It's taking God at His word. But look down in verse 32. He says, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon. Has anybody in here ever felt like you, you just... You're just you. You're small. You're inadequate. You're insufficient for anything that God... You're just glad to be here, right? I'm glad. Well, here's the thing. The Midianites had came into the land of Canaan, and they had subdued the Israelites. And they were... Basically, the Israelites would go out, and when they would try to get weed or whatever to live, the Midianites would come down and raid them and take all their stuff... So here's Gideon, okay? Gideon's up there on a hill, and he's under a, a terebinth or an oak tree, and he's threshing wheat, and he's hiding. He's hiding it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord comes, and he says, Oh, Gideon, he says, you mighty man of valor. I want to ask you something. Do you believe that you're who God has called you? 
Do you believe that you are a saint of God? Do you believe you're that group that is righteous? I always love this. I mean, how many of you feel righteous today? That guy back there? One guy? I usually do this. Do you know that our righteousness, I mean, do you know that if you're a believer today, you are every bit as righteous as Christ? Do you know that? Every bit as righteous as Christ. Why? It's what Justin was talking about today. That righteousness was imputed to you. It was credited to your account. Not based on how well you're doing. That's sanctification. That's what Denny was talking about. There's a process of working that out, becoming more like Christ. But as far as righteousness and the position that you're in, God has called you righteous. Now listen, Gideon was up there, and this is, what he, this is his response to the Lord. He says, look, we, I'm in the tribe of Manasseh. He says, my tribe is the least. My family is the least in that tribe, and I'm the least in my family. Do you know what he's just saying? I'm the bottom of the bottom of the bottom. He says, you've got the wrong guy. And the Lord says, you go in this your might. What is that might? You go in this, your strength. What is his strength? It was in the Lord. Do you know that when Gideon won that battle, he's fighting an army that, that you, he couldn't count. He starts off with 32,000 soldiers, okay? That's a lot of people, but you can number them. He's fighting someone that they can't number. There's so many in multitude. And, and the Lord says, I know this group, and I know that they'll still take credit. So everybody that is afraid or yeah is afraid wants to go home let him go home and uh what was it 22 22,000 right 22,000 went home they're left with 10,000 that's a lot of people but not not it's not 32,000 it's still we can count it and the lord says take them down by the river let them drink and everyone that drinks water this way set them to one side and everybody laps water like a dog set them over here he winds up with 300 men and so the Lord says, I want you to go and kind of circle them. I want you to take torches. I want you to take these pitchers and, and trumpets. And, and when, when I tell you to make, give the signal, everybody, you know, light your torches, crash the pitchers, and blow on them trumpets. And the Bible says that those Midianites, they killed more of each other just in their confusion than even the Israelites killed. So my question is, are you too small to be used by god are you that person that is the least of the least of the least and surely to goodness god would never use me i'm telling you that gideon is testifying saying god can use the least of the least of the least that is the testimony and then he goes on and he says he talks about barak and he talks about samson samson's an interesting case strongest man probably who ever lived by the by the spirit of the lord right Samson, if you go look at his life, he's this one bad choice after another. And then in the end, because he was God's man, he says, God, basically he says, God, I've, I've, I've done a lot of things wrong. But one more time, would you just, and I'll destroy these Philistines. And he pushed on them pillars and he knocked this Colosseum down. And he killed more on that day than he killed in all of his life. And you go on and you read about David. He talks about David and he or Jephthah and David, and I mean, David goes and he fights a giant. There's so many lessons to learn in there. Saul tried to, to arm him in his armor. You know, what, you know what all that stuff's saying? Listen, folks, as we go out and we take, we take this message of the gospel out, do you know what 
strategies we use. We use the ones that are tested. We use the ones that God has given us. And one of them that we neglect so much of the time is prayer. We need to be in prayer about all of these things and in much prayer. I could read about a lot more, but I'm going to kind of wrap it up. Listen to what he says. He talks about these ones, and he says that these ones, he says, they through faith, they subdued kingdoms, they worked righteousness, they obtained promises, they stopped the mouths of lions, they quenched the violence of fire, they escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, they became valiant in battle, they turned to flight the armies of the aliens, Women received their dead, raised to life again. Now listen to this. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. This is the message he's given to the Hebrews. Don't turn back. What is your mind right now? Church, do you realize that we're not only just talking about going out there and just a ministry, but do you realize that right now about the worst thing that you can be in America is a Christian? Persecution is being, the heat is being turned up. We have a president that is not okay with thugs and gangsters being shot and killed in the line of duty, but, and he'll send people to their funerals to honor them. But when it comes to Christians being persecuted, he's got a big thumbs up for it. Are you ready for the battle? It's things you've got to think about because it's coming. And he goes on and he says, They didn't accept deliverance, listen, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And he said, Still others had trial of, of mockings and scourgings and, yes, of chains, and they were in prison. They were stoned. They were sawn in two, they were, they, were, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and goatskin, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. When you think about these are the people of God, these are the people that God's hand was upon, and you're still reading that your best life. Now you're thinking, are you sure these were the people of God? Because everything's supposed to be great. You know how we know that God is with us and what we're doing? When nothing goes wrong, right? Yeah, right. No. Peter says this. He says, your adversary is a roaring lion. He's going about, and he is, he is seeking those that he can destroy. Why? If Satan can keep you from praying, then your prayers are not effective. If he can keep you from working, then you are not working to build up the kingdom of God. You are not doing things for the glory of God. Listen, if you don't want to be persecuted, I've got a real simple way you can go about that. Just don't serve the Lord. Just don't serve the Lord. Don't do nothing. And so he goes on and he says, he says, Listen to, this, listen to this testimony, verse 38. He says, of whom the world was not worthy. These, these, these believers way back in the Old Testament, he says the world wasn't worthy of them. The world counted them worthless. But God says, this is God's testimony, he says, of whom the world was not worthy. And he says, and all these having obtained a good testimony through faith did not receive the promise. And God having provided something better for us, 
that they should not be made perfect apart from us. And then we get back to 12. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. You want to know, you want to know how this is done? He says this. He says, we've got these, these testimonies. We've got all of those saints testifying to us to do what? Let's lay aside everything that would hinder us from running with everything we have. That's what he's saying. If you're hanging on, listen, nobody, nobody is running a marathon with ankle weights on. Okay? You may, you may train with ankle weights on. You may train with, you know, like that. But nobody's going to run the actual race with a weight. And so you've got to do a real examination today. What? What? Let me ask this. What takes first priority in your life? If it isn't Christ, I'm just telling you right now, your priorities are wrong. That wasn't a very loving statement, was it? Thank you. He said, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. People can argue all day long about what the sin is. It's the sin of this. Listen, basically what he's dealing with all through the book of Hebrews is the sin of unbelief, the sin of turning away, the sin of not trusting in God. Now, I'm not going to deny that it could be a lot of things, but, the, but overarching all of that, you are not trusting you're not taking God at his word. And then he says, And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, here we teach a thing, and one of the things we teach, we call it, historically, we call it the perseverance of the saints. In recent times, that's kind of been taught as once saved, always saved. I'm going to tell you something. Once saved, always saved. Might have started off okay. The way we use it today is not okay. What that says to people today is once saved, always saved. I'm saved. It, you know, doesn't matter what I do. I'm not saved by works, right, Paul? Doesn't matter what I do. So, you know, I'm saved, though. Once saved, always saved. All I got to do is look at my Bible and I wrote down when God saved me and I'm saved. That is not the perseverance of the saints. You see, the perseverance of the saints looks more like this. You're going along and, yeah, you may fall on your face. But this foundation that we're on, as Paul Washer put it one time, he said, this foundation that we are upon, that we are built upon, Christ, it is so wide and it is so long that even if we fall, we're nowhere near the edge that we're falling off of it. And God is going to stand us back up on our feet and we are going to endure. My exhortation to you today is that you run this race of endurance. Would y'all believe that I ran three miles yesterday? I don't look like a runner, do I? But I did. But you me tell you how it always starts? When as soon as I start running, I'm thinking, this is idiotic. And I already know where I've got to go to to get back to where I started from. But as I keep going, I just keep going. And yesterday, the guy I was with who's way better shape than me, he's like, you want to stop? And I said, Oh, we're going to the end. And that's what we did. We have to run with endurance the race that is set before us. Folks, listen. 
This Christian life is, we, a lot of times we get these great big things like, oh, I want to do this and I want to do this. The Christian life primarily is made up of a lot of small things. It's just a gradual continuing forward. The trials that you're going through today, it could be in your marriage. I want you to do this. If you're just focused on each other and you're not getting along, then see what you've done. You're like those little kids out there just blocking each other. You don't realize that your marriage is given primarily as a picture of Christ and his church. You know what's terrible when it comes to marriages? Do you know when we don't apply those things the most? It's usually Sunday morning getting ready to come and worship the Lord. And then we get here and we're like, oh, the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, right? I'm not going to look over my wife because she's still mad at me, you know? Not today. Do you understand what I'm saying? At home, so often, we don't get it right. Love your wife primarily because God said to. Primarily because God wants you to glorify Him. He wants you to shout out to an unbelieving world how it looks like for Him to love His church. Wives, submit to your husband's Primarily because God said to. So that people around can see how the church is to respond, to react to her Lord. Raise your children. Listen, we go to church, we get older in life, and we're going to raise our church. I mean, our kids, we're not going to teach them at home so much, but we're going to send them over here. Let me tell you something, folks. If you're sending your kids to Stratford Public School... And you're saying, hey, I hear that Paul Wilson's a pretty good guy, that Justin Wright. I'm going to warn you right now. Your kids may really take to heart what they're saying. And you may face the day that their Christian life is not the one that you painted where we have a nice picket fence, swimming pool in the back, all the nice things, and we go to church. They come in and say, Mom, Dad, i got some great news for you. God is calling me to go to India. Whoa, wait a second. The Christian life is about my kids being right around me the rest of our lives. That's Christian life. Oh, no, you wanted me to serve, believe in the Lord, right? Yeah. Well, he's called me to go here, and I'm going to go. Be careful. Just saying be careful. He says, looking unto Jesus... Why do we look to Jesus? He is the author. He is the one who begins. He is the one who finishes our faith. And he doesn't just start and end. He's with us the entire way. Now listen to this. He said, Who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What does he mean that for the joy that was set before him? Do you know that when Jesus was on the cross... God, he is declaring the righteousness of God the Father. Do you know that you say, well, how is that possible? Do you know that when God said, if, when man, if, you, if you eat of that tree, you're going to die? And then yet all those people didn't die, did they? They're just, they're just living. I mean, then they died and they, they really did die and they really did go to hell, all those that didn't look to Christ. But, but, you know, it could be said that God wasn't just. I mean, how in the world did he pardon David? I mean, Chris, how did he do that? David sinned he committed adultery he murdered her husband i mean and he was very conniving in the whole how does god forgive david 
You see, everybody's sin is going to be dealt with. There's going to be a payment for sin. Remember, the wages of sin is death. There's going to be a payment for sin. Either you're going to pay for it or Christ did. And when Christ did, he declared that God is righteous in the fact that God does not just overlook sin. God dealt with sin on the cross. For everyone who would believe in him, he dealt with their sin. It was put on Christ. Now, real quick, he says, He despises the shame, and he sits down at the right hand of the throne of God. He says, For consider him who endured such and who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. I don't want you to be discouraged today. If I've taken too long, I apologize for that. I feel like there are some pretty important things to be said. But what I want you to know is this as you go, as you go, there's going to be trials. There's going to be obstacles. I mean, sometimes me and my wife, all we can focus on is two little guys about this tall. We can't seem to see over them. I mean, we remember the day that she's riding on the treadmill, running on the treadmill, listening to a sermon, and God just saying, give your life to me. And she falls out. She says, what do you want me to do, Lord? And he brings this foster parenting back. And now we're going... Wish we'd have never prayed that prayer sometimes. And we're forgetting that he has brought these little guys into our life to point towards Christ. Every now and then we get it right. It's an awesome thing when you're doing Bible devotion and you're showing them how Jesus spit in the dirt and he, he made mud and you're wiping it on their eyes and, and how they can see and and then the next time you do Bible study and Tanner's going, it's my turn, my turn. And he gets his Bible and he goes, um, God, um. And he comes over and he starts doing this to my eyes. I don't know how long we'll have him. I hope for the rest of his life. I don't know. But I pray to God that he never forgets that time. And I pray that I can see beyond when they're just everywhere. It's just chaos. And that he's given us two little lives to teach and to mold and to point towards Christ. That's my hope. Would you bow your heads with me today? Father, Lord God, um, I hope, I hope that me, that in my personality and my flaws, that I haven't wearied, I haven't angered. I hope their focus hasn't been on me, but on what you have said and on Christ and what the message really was supposed to be. I just ask you, Lord, today that you'd work in the hearts of everyone here, mine especially, And God, that in all things, that, Lord, we know we're going to go through trials. We know we're going to be persecuted. You've told us those things. There's going to be a lot of joy. There's going to be a lot of rejoicing and all those things. But to know that this is the Christian life, we are going to go through those things. And we pray, God, that we thank you, Lord, that we know that you're going to be with us. You're going to be that voice that tells us to continue on, to don't give up. And you're going to see us through. Because you do have a purpose for everyone's life in here that believes in you. You have... You, you're, you're working out your will.
through us, through just weak instruments. And we thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.